Sam Allegra. I'm an artist in residence at the Melbourne Redbubble office. And it's a bit chaotic. Uh, I've got my coffee, I've got part of breakfast, and I've got a lot of paper toy friends here and paper everywhere pretty much and cables and glue and scissors and yeah. <laughs> Set out in one of the more high traffic areas of the Red Bubble office just around the corner from the entrance. You might notice Allegra's Canadian accent. When she won the residency, she moved to Melbourne on a 12-month working visa. The residency program doesn't just help artists with the space and resources. It's also handy for people working in Redbubble to chat to them about ideas they might be working on that'll affect the creative community Redbubble has fostered. So I pitched uh, a book, a kid's book, um, for fantasy paper toys. Um, At the time, it was a project that I had sort of started uh, quite a while back, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be relevant (laughs) at all, (laughs) but um, I just knew that I really wanted to do it, I really wanted to finish it, so yeah, I pitched it. Welcome to Scale Up from Launch Vic. We're almost halfway through the season, all about the mammoth online artist marketplace, Redbubble. If you're yet to visit launchvic.org, have a look on your phone while you're listening to this episode. They're doing plenty to help the startup ecosystem here in Victoria. Redbubble artists in residence have been around for a few years now. One of the very first helped design the logo you see Redbubble with today. We'll hear from Steve Ledbetter, now head of design at Cleminger, in just a minute. But more to the point, the residency program is one of many things that's been tried by the company to help the artistic community both on and off the site. This episode is all about that community, touching on its creation, nurture, and some of the drivers behind how the brand and the attitude came about. Art means so much to people. It can help them through, through grief or depression or, you know, it's such an amazing tool and I guess Redbubble and the community spirit within Redbubble maybe helped a lot of people as well. Yes, you can do your art, you can do your paintings, but then if you put it somewhere and 10 to 100 people comment on it or, you know, give, you, give it value, how amazing is that for you? So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the crux of it, to be honest. Paul Van Zeller, co-founder of Redbubble, he was very involved in the community in the early stages of his work at the start, probably had a hand in setting the tone of the forum. I probably went all guns blazing on Redbubble. I think at one stage I was the most, um, the, the person who commented the most on everybody else's work. And um, and I did it out of the pure love and excitement of it all. And, and also, you know, to build you know the sense of community within Redbubble as well so I gave a lot of my time to actually nurturing other artists and commenting on other people's work um, and also you know being one of the first people to put work up there you know they would get a message from me saying oh, welcome to Redbubble it's great to see you here blah 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 every time I spoke to Martin for this series we're sitting at a table we've pulled out from the corner in the head office in the meditation room. This time he has his laptop and flicking through the old emails from the early days to find a particularly memorable one. 
While he does that, I glance around the room again at all the cushions, deep brown heritage-listed wood panelling. The Collins Street building in Melbourne used to be a very serious Australian bank long ago. These days, on the floors Redbubble occupies, it's filled with murals, sleek computers, glass meeting rooms, and products designed by the enormous community of artists and made by their fulfillers. It's uncanny how much the office looks like the Redbubble homepage, a sort of inside-out real version of its online self. The only thing missing are the prices next to all the products. I keep thinking it'd be a good problem to solve by an augmented reality app, maybe. There's one that Redbubble already has in the works, I've seen, according to its latest full-year report, but it doesn't give much away. But Martin's found something on his laptop. This is actually the reason why we continued. I'm just, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We're looking back and he's asking me to have a look at some older stuff. And I've got an email here from Paul Van Zeller. This is from the 23rd of September. So this is four months, uh, five, we launched on the 2nd of uh, February. So what's that, six months, seven months since we launched um, from an artist. Um, The incredible positive energy, quoting her, the incredible positive energy that flows through this site from genuine polite people who seem to be in the same synergy has made it a place for people to surely share their art and feel excited and welcomed. I've never experienced a site like this. It's all the people here that make it exactly what it is and inspires because there's no ego-driven competition. It's pure excitement. Everyone is welcome and everyone wants to share. I have no idea how many people are aboard, but I certainly do my share of recruiting. It's like saying, home, come to the light, you will see. Uh, just... Uh, I can't leave Redbubble. And now I've been chatting up a storm with great people. I actually check Redbubble first thing in the morning before coffee, before phone and before email. This was actually kept us going for really for three years because people weren't selling, but they were just there too because they were enjoying the pro- the process of being there. And it was really people like Paul really who were, who were making all of that happen. He was he was talking. He was at that stage. He was spending so much time talking to all of the um, all of the artists on on the website. It was really amazing. The decision had been made to concentrate on the community. Now, after the launch, building out that vision is underway, and Xavier Russo there in the very early stages, remembers some of the considerations at the time. One of the things with communities is is they become self-reinforcing. So the early people set the tone for what the community is like, and then new people, when they join, often look at what the interactions are currently like, and then they broadly align with with that. You know, you'll get your characters that join and, and, and bring their own unique dimension to it, but a lot of people will just... Go, okay, here's, these seem to be the norms, the accepted norms of this community. That's, that's how you interact here. Um, and so getting it right at the start is really important because if, if you mess that up, trying to change it later on is really hard. It's lucky Paul and others in the community back then didn't have the temperament of a 4chan board. I wanted to know if there was some sort of shaping, what they wanted the properties to be like early on of the community. My question is taken out because of the background noise where we spoke at a cafe on St Kilda Road, but Xavier Russo's answer comes through. There was a bit of that discussion, yeah, how um, how edgy, how welcoming, how um, should it be, should, should you be able to use a pseudonym, should it be your real name, all those sort of things. There was discussions about that, you know, how do people behave if, if you know it's them versus having an identity that they're crafting. Um, I think we... We didn't put 
firm policies on exactly how that worked, but we tried to model the behaviour ourselves in how we interacted. So everyone who was working at Redbubble at the time was actively involved in the community as well. So there's a few people who were photographers, um, uploading some work, giving their own feedback and comments and trying to set the tone for, for how we'd like this to work. Um, we also spotted people in the community who were very active and who were positive and engaging in the sort of ways that we thought were were helpful um, and so sort of tapped them on the shoulder and said hey love what you're doing would you like to, to be a, a volunteer moderator and, and help out and they get a little badge next to that um, so it just gave them a little bit of extra um, weight in the community I suppose that um, wasn't wasn't quite like you know the CEOs chimed in and said something but it was it was someone that um, yeah was able to just sort of nicely nudge conversations if they were if they were not heading the right way early on it was about getting things right before scaling, which is a very simple but very sensible point. At some points in time, the will it scale question isn't the right one to ask. I think first you have to get it working, uh, and if it's not working, scaling's a moot point, so you've got to get it working first and get that dynamic going, and then move into, into more of a scaling mode. So I think in those early days, it was just about get this working, add value, get that flywheel turning where artists are up, more and more artists are joining, they're uploading work, more and more people are hearing about it, um, we, and we tried a whole bunch of different ways to, to get the word out there. There's a long list of physical projects Redbubble have tried. One was a limited edition book of art from the site. Martin hoped they'd become a collector's item. They didn't, but Martin still bought a set. Other physical incursions include stands at Comic-Con events, a space at South by Southwest one year with a giant Rubik's Cube made out of cardboard, community events around Melbourne, and art exhibitions in galleries. Richard Causey is an investor in Redbubble and now serves as the chair of the Redbubble board. But it already started to emerge this, this wonderfully quirky character, uh, which has you know, become writ large in Redbubble now. Natalie Tyler was another person very involved in the community early on, and she still very much is. So basically what happened on our site was we had a really robust community, and this is going to make me sound massively old, but, by, but before, before Facebook came along, we, there was no Facebook, there was no social networking, social media, um, and so all of this activity kind of happened on the site, and so... It was like the old school days of forums and groups and discussions and all of that kind of thing. And, and um, Facebook came along, Instagram, Twitter came along, um, and we saw a lot of that activity move off the site and people started, and, and I think kind of rightfully so as well. Like there's a lot of people who have set up their own Facebook pages and their own ways of promoting themselves as, as a as an artist, and that I th I kind of feel like if that conversation's happening where they can um, communicate with the people that are really following what they're doing and really interested in what they're doing, then that's actually a better experience than being on our site and being in our forums and talking about things where you know like that that's time that's invested that they could be investing investing in building up their own following and talking about the things that are of interest to them to their own audience so um but we do have um a really small but very committed group of artists that are in the forums and have been in the forums for a long period of time it can get a bit hairy in there sometimes How um so? um i think if we 
if if there's changes that are made to the site um we have a so we have a lot of different engineering teams who are working on stuff at any given time so i think the perception is we have one team of people that are doing stuff and so if they do something and it's not doesn't go down well with our artist community and then we start working on something else they perceive that this is one team of people that's come along and half finished a job and then has gone off um to work on something else but actually it's it's multiple teams working on multiple things with multiple objectives as well um so we hear a lot of that feedback through the forums and um i think we haven't done a fantastic job of communicating like the landscape of of how these decisions are being made and what we what we're doing so it can get a bit hairy in there in terms of frustration levels and our ability to be able to give them answers about what's happening um yeah it's 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 not always as straightforward as i think some people who don't have that perspective on that landscape might think it might be the guidelines have gone through many iterations over the years currently there are slender 2200 words or so in total the example natalie uses next depictions of violence is now guided by only four sentences but i remember having some conversations around um our attitude to for example depictions of violence on the site so um, artworks that might have had a horror or a gore theme, um, violence against women, all of that kind of stuff. Um, there's always been a really healthy debate and discussion about how we allow as much creative freedom as possible within certain guidelines and boundaries that we have on the site. And there's often very opposing views or not views opposing ways that you can approach those those problems or those um, issues and there's always a number of different angles that you can that you can look at things from and i think the the number one thing that we always look at is okay in terms of people's creative freedom and creative expression how much are you limiting that and then who else is impacted by what we the message that we send out as a site and i think what I really like about having these conversations with Martin is that he has very strong viewpoints, but he's also incredibly open to other viewpoints and he will go away and chew those things over. Um, and I've seen numerous examples where you would imagine that in many companies, you know, the, the business it goal comes first. Um, but I, I see very much the the moral goal and the the right thing to do um, is always top of mind with Martin. I think that kind of filters through to so many things that we do as a company. Um, and it can mean that decisions are a lot harder and things are a lot trickier to figure out because you could just take this line that would make your life a lot easier and you're not really doing anything that, that conflicts too much. While Redbubble early on can see what it doesn't want to be a platform for, the company makes a solid push to properly understand what it already is. Then we went to a rebrand stage and um, just to get another voice we went to um, a design company in Richmond and we came up with a new yeah, a new brand for Redbubble. Um, Steve Ledbeater, I'm currently head of design at Cremager BBDO in Melbourne and I've got a bit of experience with Redbubble. At the time, Steve was working at Cornwell, a local design agency. He was later one of the first artists in residence. 
Originally, he joined Redbubble as a way to have an online portfolio, something that would make an easy representation of the different strands of work he was involved in. It, then it seemed appropriate for the time. It wasn't pushing any boundaries and it was focusing on function and it had a bit of a, um, a sort of techie look, the logo, for instance, and it was about function. There was already a big community on there and that was one of the things that kept me because I uploaded my work and it just kind of sits there and does nothing unless you tell people. And as soon as I started engaging with a few people and asking some questions, I found people really friendly and really supportive because they're in the same boat as me. So there's an instant camaraderie and that was a big part of why I stayed and I think a lot of people do. Later, he was invited to the office for an artist night when Redbubble was still on Flinders Street, just before they moved to Collins. I was very surprised when I went in there that there was a lot of my work already on the walls and they were using for testing. And I was already quite known by the people that worked there. So that was strange because you feel quite anonymous uploading work. But to see that the people are, that work there are already really liking your stuff and know who you are when you walk in was a bit strange. But yeah, then they, they had an opportunity where the brand was evolving and they were, were thinking about uh, rebranding uh, or doing a refresh. And they asked my, they knew I was a designer and they said, have you heard of this uh, company called Cornwell? I said, I work at Cornwell. And they said, well, that's a bit of a coincidence as well. And, I, and they said, are they good? And I said, they're very good if you can afford us. And um, this is exactly what we do. And separate to that conversation, Cornwell was engaged and I ended up on the project. And it was great to, be, to see another side of the operation, um, meet more people, and really get my teeth into what Redbubble was all about and try and distill that into a mark that hopefully had longevity and some flexibility mm. um, which is kind of difficult because you know do you make it is it an art gallery or is it a retail space or is it an artist community and is it for activists or is it for expression all these things so it was a big undertaking and also went through an, a massive interview stage to find the identity of what Redbubble is. And we've got this other person, I can't remember his name. Andrew Moss. Andrew Moss, he did about 300 hour interviews with, with everyone. And from, from all those interviews, he, he got it down to um, who Redbubble is, almost down to what age group, you know, is it male, is it female, and really identified what Redbubble Redbubble is and what it stands for. As all companies do, they give you an organisational chart and explain where everyone sort of slots into. And um, I dug out the chart for for that um, that Martin gave me, and the description that they've given to Ed was creative at large is the description. So he was he was this sort of interesting energy force, this this um, this sort of sense of honesty about what Redbubble was all about. Um, and and a very quirky, interesting, energetic, creative uh, individual himself. He was only young. He was about 27, 28. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? It's not necessarily the CEO who is often regarded as the person who has all the answers to what a company is all, all about. It can often be just a passionate, inspiring, interesting individual uh, within the company who's very loyal. Um, uh, but had a clear sense of, I suppose, what the company could be and, and his contribution to that. I mean, he, uh, and they were right. I think they were right. 
So Paul Vanzella was, was, was also similar in some respects, but he wasn't inside the organization, but he was able to tell me that sort of initial spark. And uh, all these people had a slightly different perspective. And so you patched it all together and sort of were able to play that back to the organization in a, in a way that an outsider can and, and say, look, this is what I've heard. This is what I understood you to be. Uh, this is what you're saying about yourselves. Um, and this is what your the others who are part of a part of a part of this um, this organisation or interact with you as a as a brand as a company are also saying about yourself. And this seems to be the sort of the uni- unifying piece. This is what you really are representing, and and more than that, can be representing as a bigger idea. And that's where we sort of landed landed on eventually. You know, this is something that you can lead. Uh, this is an idea that you're all passionate about and actually representing something that is, is, is quite substantial, really, and quite important. Um, important to you internally and important to the people who interact with you as a business. And you know, this could be made much more of uh, as a brand idea and as an organization and as a cultural idea, uh, as a sense of personality to you. Um, uh, and, and, and gives you direction, gives you purpose, gives you clarity about the decisions that you're making, all of those things. I was unable to interview Ed for this series, but his presence around the website and the company is lasting. I asked Russell Greenwood about him, who's currently a senior product manager at Redbubble. What can you tell me about Ed? <laughs> oh no. The way that I was introduced to Ed was being copied into an email where he suggested that we change. We needed to alter an image that we had on the t-shirt uploader, I think, to replace the person's face with a block of cheese for no reason. Yeah, it's one of those intangible, you can't describe ever what Ed did either because it was always anything. Now it sounds like he's dead. That's horrible. Then there's also the fictional characters like Mr. Baxter, Russell again to explain. We had uh, like fictional employees that used to write like Mr. Baxter, have you been told about Mr. Baxter? Ed sort of created a bunch of different people who, um, because we were growing, the idea of, I think the idea at the time was have a person that was communicating with with different people if they dealt with customer service or whatever or if they heard that if we were going to yeah so if we were going to like email people about their packages being incinerated in customs over Christmas then it would come from Bad News Albert or something Um, but Mr. Baxter turned into a thing that sort of a whole lot of our emails came from Mr. Baxter and he had fictional job titles and all sorts of things but a lot of that early on was was Ed's unique sense of humour he used to Mr. Baxter would have like weekly featured artist things and we did a thing with like buyer's booth where people could send him photos of them wearing stuff that they'd purchased and you know that's a lot of that humor came through that kind of world probably a better example and this this is a much better example of something that was definitely Ed that has lasted the test of time so if you buy a Redbubble t-shirt um if you if you when your, when your t-shirt arrives, it'll have a swing tag on it and it has washing instructions and all that sort of stuff. And then it says, uh, you know, don't tumble dry, don't slap pandas. And it's a little 
custom tag with a little symbol of don't slap a panda. Um, it's just that's one of those things that someone like Ed does at a startup because you're doing everything and you can put meticulous effort into like something like that, but it is still there and it's gone through the test of time. And there's, I think, a couple of other products have a similar thing. Um, but that, like, go search Instagram for don't slap pandas and is like one of those things that everyone shares um, when they get a t shirt. Look it up on Instagram. The panda welfare message is grouped in with the washing instructions and there's plenty of examples. One time years ago, Ed and Paul made a replica of the Old Spice viral ad from 2010. The campaign was called The Man Your Man Could Smell Like, starring Isaiah Mustafa. You'll probably recognize this part. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Here's Martin again, and he's talking about some of the influence on the culture of the company that Ed had over time. How important would you say it was to the success of Redbubble in those first yeah. eight years or something? Yeah, you know, eight years, I think seven or eight years. He was fundamentally important, absolutely. Um, uh, there's sort of, you know, there's, you know, I think probably, yes, it, what, physically what he did was very important, but also the cultural tone which he set. You know, I think we never got ourselves locked away as just being a sort of a, a geeky technology company, which is important. I think we are a technology company, but there was always a sense of a reality underneath that, and I think that he always he bought that into the company very much as a, sort of a cultural process by which he, you know, thought about the importance of what we do in relationship with the artists, and then also, you know, he, was in, he did a lot of writing for the blog early on. I don't think you've got those early blog post as indeed did I because um, I don't think they exist anymore but he did writing for the blog for example and he had a whole series of different roles but to particularly in relation to you know in some in many ways he was our artist in residence in some sort of sense for quite a while as well because he was you know continuing to do art projects of different sorts but making sure that we had a real sense that you know the art and the artists were at the heart of what we do we, we do the job we enjoy the process and then you know then you move on you know, great organisations, whether it be the you know, US Marines or I was part of the Department of Foreign Affairs or whether it be, you know, whatever it happens to be, these organisations are always, they end up being, um, you know, they're, they're more than the individuals within them and the individuals, and the reason why they are is because the individuals within them see it in that way. You know, they contribute to the organisation uh, and while you're there, you're making a wonderful contribution, but it, it's not... You know, you're part of the organisation, not the other way around. It sort of went out of control. I think it's amazing. I think it's the most beautiful thing. I think it's wonderful. Um, it's it's and it, you know, at the start, it was just the most exciting time of your life. Um, you would you know, you'd meet other artists. Other artists would give you you know kudos, which you never thought you'd get and and that would sort of like you know um, spur you on to do more work and then you would travel and then you'd keep them up to date with your travel photos so felt like you were traveling with a whole bunch of friends or people as well so the community part of it became huge and Martin drew this um, diagram where he drew a little white circle in the middle and he said that's the art and then a big pale blue circle on the outside which was massive and he said that's the community and I didn't quite get it at the start, but he was right. The art builds the community. And then all of a sudden it became a massive community of artists. Yeah. Yeah. Is it overwhelming to think about how big it was from you? Oh, totally. And another person just uploading stuff? Yeah, totally. I mean, from, from Lindsay, Blamey and myself, um, 
putting you know our photography up to then a third and fourth and fifth person I mean it has to start somehow so that was you know it was just amazing to see the momentum and the and the and the force and which it built so quickly as well without wanting to sound too lofty there is a, a, a higher goal than just creating a successful financially successful business um, you know we're not trying to change the world but we kind of in our little ways we sort of are trying to make things better martin paul and natalie at the end there for more information check out the show notes or go to redbubble.com and get involved next episode on scale up by launch vic a trip to horsham and the massive behind the scenes process that is global fulfillment that's the content of Redbubble. You don't know what the next thing is. We actually chartered uh, a small plane. I, for a period of time, was the mail distribution for Europe. Everything my team does has to do with speed. That's all next episode. In the meantime, have a look at launchvic.org or find LaunchVic on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also watch videos of the Yenar conference on their YouTube channel. Just search for LaunchVic. So LaunchVic is building the infrastructure for startups here in Victoria, launchvic.org. And do tell a friend about the show and please leave a review where you're listening. I'm Courtney Carthy. Thanks for listening to Scale Up.